0: Welcome to the Data Bites podcast by Women in Data, where we give you your weekly bite-sized dose of career development advice, industry case studies, and career stories to help you excel in your data career. Today, I'm joined with Diane Lai, CIO of Card and Small Business Technology at Capital One. Prior to her role at Capital One, she held executive positions at Bank of America, Citigroup, and Amazon. Diane has extensive experience in data mining, business intelligence, and leading analytics team. Dan also holds a PhD in demography from the University of Pennsylvania.
1: Welcome to the podcast, Dan. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. Happy to be here. So I want to start
0: off and just learn a little bit more about your story. How did you get into the role today? And what were some of those pivotal points along the way?
1: Yeah, it's, I think my, my journey has been pretty unusual. And if I would have, you know, at the beginning of my career, if somebody would have said, I was going to end up as, you know, a CIO of a major credit card business, I would have, I would have told them, you know, (laughs) they were dreaming. Um, So it's a, it's a a pretty unusual story. I started out in academia, um, you know, working um, on big data analytics projects. And it's, It's funny, you know, in in those days, the definition of big data was way, way smaller than it is today. Um, And I, you know, I quickly realized that academia wasn't wasn't for me that, um, you know, I wanted to be in a space where the problems we were solving were more applied, were more relevant to humans, were more kind of immediately actionable. And also academia is often pretty solitary and I much more enjoyed working as part of a team. And so I moved over and became what in those days, um, years ago, was referred to as a data miner. Um, So I guess that's the predecessor of the data scientist role uh, and began doing a lot of data mining. I ended up um, at a couple of different startups and then eventually joined Amazon.com, where I was part of the Amazon.com data mining team uh, in the early days of of Amazon. And I think one of the things that happens with um you know people who use data and use data a lot and are very dependent on the quality of data is you often complain about the data technology and about your limitations in access to data your limitations in the models and analytics you can run i'm sure this is familiar to lots of your your listeners who get stuck when they get you know data that's incorrect or their model doesn't doesn't complete because of of some problem with the technology And I think I complained long enough and loud enough that eventually somebody said, well, look, if you think it's so easy, you try and do it. So I ended up running a big chunk of Amazon's data and analytics infrastructure. Um, And then when I left Amazon, I went into data and analytics roles at other large financial institutions. Uh, That gave me, I think, a really great um, exposure to technology at all different parts of the the technology stack. That's one thing that data scientists see a lot, I think, is because we're looking at all different kinds of data, we get to sort of understand a very broad view of the business. Um, And eventually that led me to Capital One, where I started out leading uh, technology for data and analytics. And then because our credit card business is so driven by data and analytics, it was a very natural move for me then to run technology for our credit card business. So it's been an interesting and and very unexpected journey, but data and analytics have been the theme across my whole career.
0: Yeah, and how do you see the advancements in how we're applying and using data take shape in the financial industry? Has that changed some of the business problems and how we approach them and solve them? What influence has the advancements of Data and AI had on finance.
1: Well, I think you know. I think finance is is in many ways, you know, one of the original data and analytics industries because you know let's not forget that double entry bookkeeping was you know invented in the fi- as a you know to support financial services, um, you know, five hundred years ago. So, I, but I think what we've seen is this explosion of data and analytics in financial services. And I think it's it solves a number of different of uh, different business problems. Um, you know, on the um, you know, on the capital market side, there's a ton of analytics around, you know, performance of the markets, performance of portfolios, and so on. What I'm most interested though is really in consumer finance and the analytics around, you know, how do we make sure that our customers have the right set of financial products, and that our customers are able to use those those financial products to really um, you know live their best lives and and enable their personal financial goals and I think you know great data and analytics can be an incredibly important part of that because we can recommend the right products to customers and because we can um, offer customers just the information that they need in a timely manner. For the customers to make great financial decisions and to educate customers about how to use financial products, so I think it's I think it's been very important. And then I think also data and analytics have been really important in um, securing our financial products. And so you know, in credit card, it's uh, um, it, it's no um, it's no surprise that there's a, a tremendous amount of fraud. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of financial crime. And data and analytics are really at the heart of protecting consumers from fraudsters. We have very sophisticated machine learning models that analyze whether a given purchase is fraudulent, whether somebody is fraudulent in trying to open an account. Um, We also use very sophisticated data and analytics for other kinds of financial crimes, for example, for money laundering or human trafficking, which can often be detected using those sophisticated analytics and that would not otherwise be detected. So I think that, you know, the advances we've seen in, um, in, in analytics, in machine learning, and ultimately in AI are making financial services more accessible and more available to people. Um, they're also making financial services safer as well.
0: Yes, I couldn't agree more. I'm a big beneficiary of the secure financial products. I know a few years ago, I pretty much stopped using a debit card or cash uh, because using a credit card was just a safer way. I knew they were doing a better job of monitoring fraud, and there was more security with refunds. So it's great to see from a consumer perspective. You re- each of us have the end results that we can fill each day by using the security of cards and what financial institutions are doing to protect um, our finances. So on that note though, those are some of the positives, but curious to know if there's any downsides to the advancements made in AI, and particularly more and more we're hearing about biases in our algorithms, and from a financial perspective, There's been some scrutiny under credit scores and whether or not those are truly fair and equal. Do you see any downsides into how we're using data and AI within the financial service industry that we should at least be cautious about or aware of?
1: Oh, I think we have to be tremendously, tremendously thoughtful about our approaches to using data, sophisticated analytics, sophisticated modeling techniques in financial services, Because I think the thing that we, you know, the thing that we all worry about is um, uh, systematic bias in outcomes. So we worry about this, you know, we worry about those situations where, um, you know, members of some identity groups would be offered, you know, less good credit um, and less uh, financial products. you know, than than members of other groups based on, you know, based on a model that was in some way biased or or performing incorrectly. And I think one of the biggest concerns that we have is this, so we have concerns around fairness, we have concerns around bias, and we have concerns around explainability. Um, Because with, you know, the regulatory standard um, in in, uh, credit and in lending, is that you should be able to explain why you gave a customer a particular amount of credit. And some of the most sophisticated machine learning models are not really explainable. You can't really say quite why the model gave you the outcome that it gave you. And so I think there's a there's a lot of concerns around that. At, at Capital One, we think it's tremendously important to really um, make the investments to be an industry leader in, in this space. I don't think personally, I don't think it's good enough that we um, simply adhere to the regulations. I think we have to really go above and beyond and say, what is the right thing? And that's that's very much Capital One's approach is to really look at this area and have a very, very high bar to make sure that any place where we use data and analytics, we're doing so in a way that is scrupulously fair and that is scrupulously transparent and that we can really inspect and understand the behavior of the models so that we can understand why they made the decisions they made. And if we if we don't have that explainability and that transparency and we can't put that monitoring in place, then, you know, those are models where we feel there has to be additional work, additional research before, you know, we'd really be comfortable using them. And so we have a very significant um, Uh, body of research that goes on in our Center for Machine Learning and in our data science teams to make sure that we are very focused on fairness and explainability in our use of, of machine learning models. So shifting
0: gears a little bit, would love to dive into more of your role today, but particularly from a leadership perspective. You mentioned, you know, this wasn't an expected career path for you but given the role you're in today as the CIO what are some of the essential skills and traits you have learned along the way that you feel are essential to be successful in those this role if others are interested in this as a career path for them
1: well I think there are I think there are a number of skills that are that are important in the role that I have today and I certainly would not claim that I'm uh, perfect at, at any of these. But I think there are there are a number of skills that are important. Um, you know, one of the skills I think is definitely important is people leadership. And um, that's not, I'm not really talking about sort of people management and the mechanics of managing a team. I'm much more talking about the ability to set a big goal for a team the ability to get a team excited about the work that's ahead of them and the ability to empathize with a team through struggles and through difficult times and you know through through challenges and i think certainly the last um you know the last 18 20 months have have taught us all the importance of empathy and connection within our teams so I think there's a lot of there are a lot of competences that a leader needs around um, the ability to connect on a human level with the people that you're working with and with the larger organisation that you're leading. I think it's also um, extremely important in in a world where technology is changing so fast. Uh, it's no longer possible for anybody to be an expert in everything that's going on in technology so you have to be somebody who's curious, who's open, who's willing to learn new things and who's willing to um trust the advice from the people who are the deep experts in your team and and to um you know support those deep experts as they continue to build their expertise. So I think that's that's something that's that's also extremely important. You have to be very um flexible and creative as a as a problem solver because things often don't turn out quite the way you expect. Uh, and sometimes they turn out, you know, they turn out better because of those surprises along the way. And then I, I also think it's very important that increasingly technology is the business. And in, a, in financial services, you know, so much of our business is dependent on our technology, that as a technologist, you really have to be able to be a strategic partner with the business, and really be able to sit at the table with the business, understand Um, their concerns, understand what they think are the big opportunities, contribute to the debate about the big opportunities and how we're going to go after them. And so you have to be able to bring um, a level of strategic thinking and the ability to craft a strategic vision. And as I said at the beginning, you know, working with the business and understanding those strategic problems and then getting your team excited about solving them, that's that's really at the heart of, of my role.
0: So you mentioned a couple things and kind of alluded to them in regards to how work has changed and the importance of empathy during these past few years as we've been in the midst of a pandemic and the ups and downs of getting out of it and going back into it. And that's had a lot of effect not only on people, but the work environments that we work in, going from working in an office to working from home to a combination of both. How do you see, and how do you navigate the continual changing environment of the workforce, while at the same time making sure you're setting up your team
1: for success? That is um, that is a great question, and I have to say, I think these last, you know, this last twenty um, month period has been without a doubt the most challenging time of my career. Um, it is. It has really been an extraordinary and, and unique challenge uh, that we've all been facing. Uh, I have. I have tremendous empathy for um, you know the struggles of many of the people that that I work with, people with with young children who've been, you know, homeschooling sometimes for as much as a year. Um, you know, people who are struggling to be able to carve out their their work time because you know maybe maybe a child at school gets sick and then everybody's home and, you know, there's this, this, um, element of sort of continuous surprise in the environment that we're operating in. Um, you know, I've had, I've had team members with, um, whose families have been impacted by the tragic events in India earlier this, earlier this year. Um, it's really, really been a lot to, a lot to cope with. Um, I think what's I think what's really important is creating an honest and open and authentic environment where people can communicate and can talk about the challenges that they're facing and where we can all just, um you know, take a step back and take a deep breath and, and recognize that um not everybody's going to be able to bring everything they've got every day, that people are often dealing with with other challenges and we need to you know, give everybody, uh, cut everybody a little bit of slack sometimes. I've been really um, just horrified to see the um, reduction in women's labor force participation through the pandemic and, you know, the losses we've seen in women's progress in the in the, the workforce in particular. Um, you know, and then I think there's been a double whammy for um, for for black women um who've been you know even and for in some other communities of color where people have been disproportionately impacted by the pandemic and where uh people's struggles have been have been even greater. Uh we we've tried a lot of different things in my team and you know we've cycled through different ideas and some of those ideas have been the right things at the at the right moment. Um early in the pandemic we did lots of um you know, Zoom connections, social connections. We did lots of ask us anything. We, you know, we tried to do some lighthearted things, some fun things. I think as we all settled much more into a work from home routine, some of those things like, you know, some of the more social things and so on became harder to sustain. I think, um, you know, definitely people were disappointed when we didn't all go back to the office in the in the fall, everyone was was looking for that contact. And we're, you know, we're trying now to really think about what does the future of work look like for our organisation. I think one thing we're very, very focused on is creating flexibility for people and making sure that we're giving people sufficient flexibility that we can manage through uh, the challenges that that we're facing and just just recognising that everybody's got something in their lives in addition to work and So everybody needs some measure of flexibility.
0: Yes, I love one of your first points about having an honest, open, and authentic environment. From our research at Women in Data, we've heard from our members that, you know, if employers would just take the time to listen to them, it makes the world a difference in terms of retention and their productivity. And I think you've really identified that and nailed it with, making sure we're slowing down and taking that time and know that each employee is an individual and there has to be flexibility there in order to make sure everyone can succeed in the work environment. So just wrapping up today, wanted to get some of your final thoughts in terms of advice, but particularly with those looking to have a successful career in data and technology and even maybe more particularly within the financial industry. What advice do you have for individuals either starting out or mid-career looking to become a leader in this space?
1: Well, I some, my you know my own personal career was um, so unplanned and so much driven by sort of um, chance and um, lucky coincidences and so on that I hesitate to give too much advice. But there are a there are a couple of things I would say. I I would say that. First first of all, um, you really, you have to have a grounding, a foundation of knowledge, of a core discipline that you really know and that you, you really understand. And I think, you know, careers get built on being able to apply a core way of thinking about the world, whether that's problem solving, whether that's an analytic mindset, whether that's analytical skills of being able to apply that to many different problems and to apply that to new problems and really develop very high judgment about, about problems. So I think that's that's one thing that's super important is to have that, that foundational skill set. I think the other thing that's incredibly important is just to say what it is you want and be prepared to say it out loud. And if necessary, practice saying it in front of the mirror um, so that you can actually you know, have a conversation with your, you know, with your manager, with your boss and say, hey, I would like to get a role like this. Now, you know, I'll, I'll tell you early on in my career, there was a time there was a role that I very much wanted. Um, I just assumed that somehow, you know, so everyone around me was going to deduce that I really wanted that role. They didn't deduce that I really wanted that role. And they in fact hired somebody else. Um, the person they hired turned out it wasn't a good fit wasn't a good match and so then they were back to the drawing board and when they were back to the drawing board I said to my boss I said you know none of this mess would have happened if you'd just given that job to me and my boss looked at me and said we had no idea you were interested in doing that of course you'd be our first choice for this role we just didn't think you wanted to and so then I was like yes I want to do this So I think it is just so important to really say and tell people what you want. Nobody's a mind reader, so nobody's going to guess that you really want to do something. So you have to raise your hand. Now, there's some risk with this because there have also been times in my career when I've raised my hand and said, I would really like to do this. And the answer has been no, we don't think you're ready. We think you need to fill these skill gaps, these competency gaps first. So if you raise your hand, you have to be prepared that you may get some feedback, you know, that that's going to put some work on your plate before you're going to be ready. But um, I still think it would always be my advice to say, raise your hand, say what you want, because nobody's going to going to guess what you want. And the, the worst thing that can happen is you get feedback and that feedback helps you get better and helps you get closer to your goal. So um, I, I really encourage people to, to say what they want.
0: Yeah, I think you just saved a couple people years of career experience with that advice. And very much agree, you know, even if you get told no, hey, you're not ready for that role. Usually people provide feedback on why, which gives you a lot more direction and where you need to be focusing your efforts and where you can improve. So really appreciate that piece of advice. Awesome. Well, that's it for us today. So again, I just want to thank you so much for joining on the podcast. I think it's been a fantastic conversation into some of the questions that are being answered in the financial industry. I appreciate you sharing your honest and open career journey and I look forward to continuing to stay in touch and learn from you.
1: Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to chat with you and um, Uh, a pleasure to spend time with you this afternoon
0: well signing off today everyone remember to stay curious and creative and we will talk again soon if you're looking for more resources to further your data career or find your tribe we encourage you to become a member at womenindata.org see you on the other side